Psalm 23. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms, and verse by verse, and we did part one of Psalm 23 last week, and so this is part two. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it just uh, reminded me, we need some help in the Sunday school. So while I pray if you would like to scoot out, I think we need about five more volunteers. People called in sick this morning. Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that it's full of all truth. And that it will lead us, it will guide us, it will strengthen us, it will rebuke us. Father, I just thank you and praise you for that. And I thank you for David being inspired to write these psalms as as other writers wrote them as well. But we thank you this morning that David was sensitive enough to write these truths down. And Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching. And Lord, as we go through these verses this morning, you'll be glorified through your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, you know, we're seeing a shepherd here, David by name. And David gives us a glimpse of his personal relationship with God in this psalm. And that is very important. Because oftentimes religion teaches us that you really, they don't intentionally teach us this. They subtly teach us this. That you can't have a relationship with God. God is too holy. God is too distant. And you just can't have that. You're not good enough. But we see in the word from Genesis to Revelation that no, God has come to us. We can never get to him. Because we're never, we never will be good enough. So he came to us. He came to Abraham. You read the Old Testament, he's coming to people over and over and over again, encouraging them to have a relationship. It's the same in the New Testament. It's not two gods, it's one God, old and new. And this psalm that we're reading this morning, as I mentioned last week, many believers as well as unbelievers have this psalm memorized. Matter of fact, uh, yesterday a gal told me that when she was growing up in her school, the principal was a Christian and over the loudspeaker. Now this is many, many years ago. But when she was in elementary school, every morning over the loudspeaker system, the principal read Psalm 23. So she had it memorized by the end of the school year. She didn't know what it meant, but she had it memorized. You see, that's all it is, is an ability to recall information. And so we can memorize scriptures. But if it's just a head knowledge, just to recall a scripture, if you don't have that relationship this morning, it's of no value. You may as well go over the times table. It means nothing to the spiritual enemy that you are dealing against. 
You see, they haven't taken the time to truly understand that God desires intimacy with all of humanity, not just a certain religion, as religion will try to teach people. You see, people get caught up in religious aspect of this life. Yes, even Bible-believing Christians. And they miss out on the most important aspect of this life, a personal relationship with the creator of it all. So let's continue to look to David's intimate relationship and with God through the rest of this psalm. As we pick it up in verse 4, you can get a CD of last week's teaching if you'd like over by the sound booth. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now again, as we're reading this, we want to remember David was a shepherd, so we want to take it back to that and also apply it to us today. And it took a passing through the valleys to get to the highlands where the summer grass was best. You see, the shepherd knew, though, that there were possible predators hiding in the shadows of the mountainside as they would go up through these mountain passes. Suddenly, storms could also cause great danger to the flock. So the shepherd would go ahead of the flock and investigate the best route to take through those mountain passes. He searched diligently for food and water, looking for the possible problems that might occur in order to guide his flock away from them. And as I mentioned last week, the sheep had a a wonderful confidence in their shepherd. They just continued to graze as they went, munching away on the lush green grass and vegetation. They didn't have a concern for what was going on around them, but enjoying what was laying right in front of them. And our heavenly shepherd does the same. Jesus, as we learned last week, he is the chief shepherd. Through the Holy Spirit, he always goes before us. Because again, God is in heaven and Jesus is at his right hand. So oftentimes when we say, well, Jesus is leading us, we really need to make it applicable. Because the Holy Spirit within us is the one who is actually leading us. Because Jesus, as we learned last week and have learned over the years, sent the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Yes, they are all one, but they are still unique entities. And so the Holy Spirit will guide us. He goes before us and he is looking out for our best interests. You see, your boss might suggest that. You know, I'm looking out for your best interest. And a family member might even say that. You know, we're really looking after your best interest. And maybe there's a question in your mind whether your boss or your family member really is or their arterial motives. But it's a guarantee with Jesus that he really is looking out for our best interest. And I can learn to cling to him and not my ways. I can, I can come to understand what David is saying here. To fear no evil. You see, obviously there are times when fear or anxiety tries to grip us. Has anybody ever had a time like that? Anybody in, your, in this room ever had a time where fear has tried to grip you? That's obvious. It happens. But it's the word of God that can soothe. That can comfort. Even during the middle of the night when, when you hear something and the enemy starts throwing thoughts into your mind, you can just start to quote a verse that you've memorized, that you've applied, and you're applying it even in the middle of the night. 
and relieve us of those fears. Because that's what the enemy works on, fear. He loves to bring fear into our lives. You know, another side of this verse here is that wonderful time of approaching death. You know, how could death be a wonderful time, you might think? (laughs) It's a great time. You see, we know as believers that heaven is before us. So what evil is there to fear? Since Jesus has gone before us to conquer the mental effects of the grave. You know, there'll be no evil in heaven. No murder, no stealing, no sinful nature at all, praise God. There'll be no schedules, no humidity, praise God. No time, no clock. You're not going to be the new kid on the block. Oh, when did you show up? No clock. No more death, no anxieties, no worries. Nothing that is associated with the curse of this life will be in heaven. So as the light of Christ shines upon the lives, think of the shadows. In order to have a shadow, you need to have light. The light of Christ shines in upon our lives and it causes a shadow of what is going to be a blessing forevermore. Heaven. I can see a shadow of heaven on this side of heaven because of God's goodness. So whether it's in this life or the end of this life, what are some verses that can help us pass through those valleys that we will all encounter sooner or later? Every single one of us in this room. Well, I just threw a couple up here. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I encourage you to memorize scripture. Because again, this is the enemy's tactic. To cause fear in your mind. To sink down into your very soul. But God has not given... Who has he given to us? The Holy Spirit. Not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Those two words, sound mind there, they mean discipline, discipline, self-control. God has given us the ability through the Holy Spirit, not through positive thinking. This is where Christianity is getting off and getting away from the word of God. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we meditate on the word and proclaim the word, that will bring a discipline and it will bring self-control into our lives. If you're having an issue in your life, something's out of control, you don't have self-control in that area, start looking at scriptures, memorize those scriptures, and allow the Holy Spirit to give you Christ control. Because you're not going to gain self-control through positive thinking. Or I just won't do it, I just won't do it, I just won't do it. And then you end up doing it. But as you memorize scriptures, and then as you quote those scriptures, you will find yourself having that sound mind. How about First Peter 5, 6 and 7? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humility. The shepherd. Going back to what we talked about last week. Is Jesus your shepherd? That he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care. That word care there is anxieties. Casting all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. That second cares is caring. It's not anxiety. The first care is anxiety. The second care is literally caring. He cares for you. He wants to meet you where you are at and bless you and encourage you and strengthen you. 
So as you have anxieties, that's, that's normal. It's how we deal with those anxieties. We can pretend they're not there, or we can use drugs to subdue them, or we can maybe seek counseling to help work through those anxieties, but most importantly, going back to the Word of God. How about Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6 and 8? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6 through 8. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. Moses instructing the Israelites. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Remember what happened years prior? Twelve men went into the land. Ten of them came back very afraid of the enemy. And two said, no, let's go. We can take them. We've got God on our side. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them. Now what did we just read in Peter? Or I'm sorry, in Second Timothy 1.7. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's a guarantee. How do we get that? By going to God. How did Israelites conquer the land? By doing it themselves? By getting really good with their weapons? By relying upon God. Their first battle... God took care of Jericho. He was showing them right out of the gate, I'm going to take care of you. Trust in me. Be strong and of good courage. Again, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you Do not fear, nor be dismayed. Now the Holy Spirit is inspiring Moses to instruct Joshua and all of Israel. So what do you think the Holy Spirit knows about the heart of his kids? About our hearts? That we have a tendency to fear. That's just reality. And so we have to work through that process and keep going back to the Word of God. How about Hebrews 13, 5 and 6? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. So Paul referencing back to Moses. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Isn't that kind of interesting? And even as you read Joshua, the first chapter of Joshua, God speaking directly to Joshua, what does God say to Joshua? Have courage. Have courage, Joshua. Don't fear, Joshua. Have courage. It's over and over and over because, again, that's what we can fall into. Back in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Got a couple verses here. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. 
The word promptly there means to dawn, figuratively to be up early at any task. So it's important to learn discipline at a very early age. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me, David writing, and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, with that shepherd mentality. And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There were two tools that a shepherd had. The rod was a short club with a knobby end and was used to ward off those who might come to prey upon the flock. The shepherd was very skillful in throwing this club at a good distance. The staff, on the other hand, was used to lift and to sift through the wool of the sheep to check for potential problems before they bedded down for the night. Parasites, bugs, thorns, thistles. It was also used to pick up and pull strays out of awkward places, as well as gently guiding them along the way. See, again, think about this with the sheep. The staff was of great comfort to the sheep, knowing that they were being watched over and taken care of. When they felt the staff, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get beat. It was like, oh, someone cares for me. Someone's looking out for me. Somebody's watching over my well-being. And so for us as believers, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and will lead us to repentance. You know, sometimes people are afraid to read the Bible. Christians shouldn't be, but they are. Because they know they're living an unbiblical lifestyle. And if they read their Bibles, they're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so instead of being convicted, I just won't read it so I can just go to church on Sunday, punch the clock as a believer, do my religious obligation, so to speak, and then I can go on my way and keep doing what I'm doing. Now you're missing out on the discipline that God desires to bring you through, that you might grow and become a stronger believer. You see, the Word of God will give us boundaries, just like a shepherd. Those guidelines to keep us safe from the tactics of the enemy. And when we cross those boundaries... You know, it's a wonderful comfort to know that God disciplines His kids. You know, He cares for our temporal state as well as our eternal state. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I just want to make this point. That if you are living a sinful lifestyle and you're not being chastened, you might think, well, nothing's happened to me. I, I guess God's okay with it. You probably need to ask yourself a simple question. Am I really a part of God's flock? Have I allowed Jesus to become my shepherd? It's not for any other individual to say you're saved or not saved. That's between you and God. But Jesus did make this point in the Gospels. He said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. We are not to be salvation investigators. We're just to be fruit inspectors. And that means even in our own lives, what fruit am I producing? Or what fruit... Even if it's rotten fruit, am I going after? Instead of seeking after the good fruit, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. And have you forgotten the encouraging words of God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, 
Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Unfortunately, we are now seeing this in our culture. And we're seeing the ramifications of this very verse. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, should we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And notice at the very end there, for those who are trained, disciplined. Are you disciplined to be disciplined by the Lord? Are you looking for discipline from the Lord? If you're not, then you're not trained by it. So you will not have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. You, I, we need to become disciplined in that area and allow God to discipline us. Verse 5 of Psalm 23 You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. This first part, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, let's remember, we've just gone through the lowlands. We've gone through the valley. Now we're up in the mountains. The flock is now in the upper elevation and they have gone through the valley and are now enjoying the grass of the upper meadows. You see, the shepherd did the work ahead of time, and now the sheep were enjoying the fruits of his labors. The enemies of the flock have been thwarted, and Jesus has done the exact same thing for us. He has gone before us. And we can now relax and enjoy the benefits of his victory at the cross. And again, this this sounds so basic and so elementary, but very few Christians arrive at this statement. Very few Christians, they don't know how to relax. They don't know how to enjoy the victory of the cross. And they just continue to strive and and just to deal with things that they don't really have to deal with, but they haven't surrendered them yet to Jesus, knowing that Jesus has accomplished it. You know, Colossians 2.15 says this, having disarmed principalities and powers, that would be the devil, Satan, Lucifer, and those of his cohorts, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. How about Ephesians 6.13? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, which we know is the word of God. So for you and me this morning, it's from Genesis to Revelation. You know, if you don't have a daily reading schedule, I encourage you to have a daily reading schedule. We have them back in our agape boxes. You can pick one up, they're free. 
We have them at all the boxes. And you can go through from January through December. And if you do this simple reading schedule, which is basically three or four chapters a day, which I'm not a very good reader, takes me about 20 to 25 minutes a day, you'll go through the New Testament twice in a year. You'll go through the Old Testament once in a year. You'll be getting the Word of God in your head, on your mind, so that it can sink down that 12, 13, 14 inches to change your soul. Why are so many Christians still struggling? Well, I don't got time. I don't got time. I can watch four hours of TV at night, but I don't got time. I got a hobby. I can spend hours with my hobby, but I don't got time. I'm just too busy. No, it's what do you value? You see, what we place value on is what we will attend, like a meeting, a prayer meeting, or a Bible study, because we'll go, I value that. If we don't value it, then we don't show up. So you have to evaluate what you value. And if you desire peace that surpasses understanding, then you need to value the Bible and read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Well, I don't understand the Old Testament. Good for you. I don't either. And I still do this reading schedule. Not for you, for me. But you know, over the years, the Lord has helped me to understand some of the Old Testament. I still, I, I don't, I'm not God. I'm never going to figure it out. So don't, don't use that as an excuse. That's the enemy's excuse to get you not to do what you should do. To learn about your God, who's an incredible God. So read from Genesis to Revelation, guys. Get into that habit and it will transform your life. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Are we at evil days today? I mean, this past week is just crazy. Teenagers, five teenagers, watching a handicapped young man drowned and filming it. And he died. 15 and 16 year olds, they could have jumped in and saved him. But instead they filmed it and said, I think he just died. That's our culture. 15 and 16 year olds. Another man was just convicted this past week of killing a two-year-old. Because the two-year-old woke him up from his nap. I'm not trying to be a bummer here. I'm trying to bring reality to you. This is reality. This isn't in a far-off land. This is in America. Where we choose to get rid of the Bible. Where we choose to get rid of prayer out of school. Where we choose to kill our babies in the womb. Even up to nine months. It's, a, it's federally legal to kill a baby up to nine months. States may say something different. The federal law says you can kill a child up to nine months in the womb. And we're wondering, why, why, why is this happening? Well, we're animals. We came from the goo. So what's the big deal? What's the moral standard? What's the truth? Well, you're here today because you love the truth. But we have to be able to go out and defend the truth. And explain the truth. And help people to understand, this is not normal. Because I'm hearing other people saying, well, this has happened all the time. No, it's not. I'm sorry. I'm 57 years old. This stuff was not happening when I was 10, 20, 30 years old. This was this stuff was not happening in America. Don't even try to go down that road. It's getting worse and it's speeding up because Jesus is coming back. 
So we have to be available to defend the truth. So to withstand an evil day and having done all to do what? To stand. Stand on what? The word of God. This is not acceptable. Killing people, watching other people die. This is not acceptable. It's not a joke. They're stepping into eternity. But are we willing to say that to somebody? Are we willing to be mocked for Jesus? Verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Again, oil was used by the shepherd to keep the summer flies and bugs away from the eyes and the nose of the sheep. Again, this was another way to keep disease away from the flock. And, and also, oil is representative of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And here, this is a very applicable idea. As we invite the Holy Spirit to cover us, especially our minds and our eyes, our ears, what we're taking in, He will keep the enemy and His pestilence away. You know, purity, purity will reign in our lives and blessings will flow out unto others you know friends and relatives they need to see a difference because these few stories i share with you they're hearing them as well and what do you think an unbeliever has they have no hope who has hope you and me it grieves us but we can at least have a hope and say hey you know what there's there's an answer jesus is an answer they need to see a difference in our actions and also our reactions let's look at ephesians chapter 5 Because we are now being led by the Spirit now instead of the flesh. So Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, notice capital S, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The world is saying these things are acceptable. No, they're not. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Well, how do you expose them? You bring the light. You don't debate with them about morals. You bring the light and allow the Holy Spirit to do the convicting through the word of God. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then, speaking to you and me, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I think one of the greatest things that you and I can do is by to, is to be in our words, to redeem that time, to be in the word, so that when you have that opportunity for 30 seconds or one minute, or maybe to sit down for an hour with someone who doesn't know the Christ, doesn't know the word of God, where we can then say, this is why this is happening. This is why this is happening. And to be able to open the Bible and to share with them the good news that they can go to heaven as well because we are in evil days. And you know what, guys? Jesus said it's going to get worse. That's just reality. It is going to get worse right prior to his return. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
You see, David was able now to look back over his life and see God's goodness and mercy, even in the midst of poor choices at times, because David did make some very poor choices. He was able to acknowledge that God was with him throughout his whole life. And he finishes the psalm with that eternal promise for every believer. One day, guys, one day, each and every believer will stand in the presence of God and enjoy his sweet fellowship for all of eternity. For all of eternity. You see, David has experienced the temporal tabernacle and the glory of God that resided therein. It was just a foretaste of the splendor that he knew he would enjoy someday forever. And even as I I spoke of those horrendous things that are taking place in our society, that's one reason why I have a daily devotion. I would go crazy without daily devotion. I wouldn't be a pastor without my daily devotion. I'd be plotting on how to kill people. I'm just telling you, that's your pastor. I'd be plotting on how to kill people, how to eliminate people for what they do to kids and teenagers, the sex trade, the sex trafficking, everything that's going on in our society. I have to be in the Word to keep me calm, to keep me focused, to to, to keep me in that mode of people need Jesus. People need Jesus. They're doing these things because they don't have Jesus. And if we don't take them Jesus, who's going to take them Jesus? Islam? Are they going to take them Jesus? I don't think so. The Bible. We need to take them to the Bible. We need to get those emotions under control through the word of God and press forward with the only hope that we have, the good news that Jesus has risen from the grave and you can have him today. That's what they need to hear. Each and every believer should have the same confidence knowing that God is good and that his mercies are continually being poured out upon his kids. You see, David needed God's mercy every day and so do we. You know, Lamentations 3, 22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, praise God. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If this Christian walk was based on our faithfulness, it wouldn't be good. But if when it's based on his faithfulness, it's always good. That's why we can always say, God is good. And every morning when we wake up, we can say, God, you're so good. Just continue to pour forth your mercy upon me because I so desperately need it. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's some verses. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made hands with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now as you read that, it can be kind of difficult. So what I do at memorial services is I, tr- I just slide the word body because most of the time there's a lot of unbelievers in there. And so they're like, tent? Building? What is that? So just re- read the word this, this way. For we know that if our earthly body, this body, is destroyed, because it is going to go back to the earth, we have a body from God, a body not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And as you read 1 Corinthians 15 and 2 Corinthians 5, 
you're going to learn that there are two bodies. There is a physical body and there is a spiritual body. When you die, you're not just a spirit floating on a cloud playing a harp. You are going to receive a physical body. That's what? Designed by God, made in heaven, not made by your parents. This body, my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, blah, 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 blah. Ashes. The, the body that God has waiting for us, it's eternal in the heavens. And when you take your last breath on this earth, as a believer, you're going to take your first breath in your new body, 186,000 miles per second, you're going to take your first breath and you're going to be in heaven with God. You're not going to be going towards a light hoping that it's not a train. You're going to be instantly at 186,000 miles per second in the presence of God, in your brand new body. That should bring a lot of peace and joy. So what is there to fear of death? I mean, yeah, nobody really wants to go. But when it's over, it's over. No more death. John 14, 3, Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That just ties in with that new body with the Corinthians. He's not up there wearing Home Depot bags, building you a home on Hallelujah Boulevard. It's a brand new body designed by God, eternal in the heavens. How about Revelation 21.4? It's one of my favorite verses. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Praise God. All the evil that is happening on this earth, we won't be talking about it in heaven. There's not going to be any talk shows, radio hosts. There's not going to be one message of evil in heaven. It will be purged from our minds, praise God. We won't be walking around saying, well, do you remember Hitler and what? Nothing. Nothing evil in heaven. Nothing whatsoever. And I personally believe this is when we stand before the Bema seat of Christ, the reward seat of Christ. There will be tears in heaven. Momentary tears for every one of us. When we're going to cry and say, I wish I would have done more. I could have done more. Why didn't I do more? And Jesus is going to wipe those tears away and say, it's okay. Come on in. You're my kid. You're my son. You're my daughter. And then there'll be no more tears forevermore. But I really believe, because we are all going to be judged. The Bible makes that plain and clear. For the believer, it's the reward seat of Christ. For the unbeliever, it's the great white throne judgment seat. The beaming seat, I personally believe that's where we're going to cry and then that will be it for forevermore. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever father we just thank you and praise you what a glorious promise that you inspired david to write a thousand years before you started to inspire the new testament david had that personal relationship with you and he was not afraid to die because he knew what was beyond the grave 
Father, we thank you for that that wonderful relationship that David had and that he wrote down and, and that we can learn from and glean from and, and grow through. Lord, this week, help us to, to press through any fears that the enemy would try to bring upon us. Help us to go to your word and to memorize specific scriptures about that area of our lives where the enemy is trying to cause fear. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We have to use the word of God against our enemy. So Lord, help us to to read from Genesis to Revelation, even when we don't understand, to get the word in our heads that you might have something to work with on our hearts, that we would be transformed, that you would be glorified in and through our lives, as we go out into a wicked world, Lord, you know, you said it was going to happen through your son. It's going to become even more and more wicked. But we also know there's going to be a remnant of believers. And we want to be a part of that remnant. We want to be telling those who are are going to hell that there is a God who loves them who sent his son to die for them, and they can turn from their wicked ways, even as we did from ours. Father, help us to go down fighting, proclaiming the gospel, the good news, that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. There is no Muslim that you did not die, that your son did not die for. No Mormon, no Catholic, no Jehovah Witness, no Buddhist, no atheist. You died, your son died for the whole world, Father. So help us to go out this week as ambassadors for Christ and be available for whoever might cross our paths to share with them the hope of eternal life with you. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're with us this morning and, and you do not have Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I would encourage you to pray this prayer. And if you're serious, if you are sincere, if you are willing to say to God right now, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. This world offers no hope for me. and I desire a hope in eternal life. Then you just pray this simple prayer. God will hear this prayer. He will answer this prayer. And He will give you the Holy Spirit who will come in you and upon you for the rest of your life. Just pray this simple prayer. God, I need a Savior. I need a shepherd. I know this song. But I truly don't know the great shepherd of this song. Jesus. As my Savior. I don't want to be religious. And I want to stop playing church. So I invite Jesus right now into my life. I repent of my sins. And I invite your Holy Spirit 
to come into my life to rule, to reign, to guide, to comfort, to rebuke, to exhort, that through your word I might come to know you better and to understand how much you love me that you would send your son to die for me. Thank you, God, that I can now call you Father. My Father. Thank you for accepting me. That I am now your son. I am now your daughter. Thank you, Father, for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we do thank you for this time. And again, just go before us, as we know you will, but help us to see that. That we would follow in your footsteps, be led of your Holy Spirit to share the gospel this week. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? Have a blessed week. If you receive Jesus, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, come up. The elders will be up here. We'd love to pray for you guys. God bless you. Have a great week. And if I got his word, then you could ever stop. And if I got his with us, then what could stand against? And if I got his for us, then who could ever stop us? And if I got his with us, then what could stand against? And if I got his for us, then who could ever stop us? And if I God is with us, then what could stand again? I got is greater, I got is stronger, God you are higher than any other, I got is healer, awesome and